0: Hi guys, my name is Quinn Cully, and this is True Product a show that dives into the weeds of real projects with PMs from around the world. Our guest today is Vaibhav Goel, a senior PM at Namely, the all-in-one HR, payroll, benefits, and talent management platform. As usual, we'll cover a bit about the company and then dive into a recent project, specifically how Vaibhav built out the workflows for updating sensitive records such as salary, onboarding, or even your name on payroll after getting married, each one with its own unique set of triggers, authentications, and work dreams. Some of the highlights include first, how to leverage your sales team to track deal breakers or features that would mean the difference between a sale or not. Second, why it's important to have a roadmap generally defined before the actual roadmapping meeting. And lastly, why you should always break up a project into iterative chunks, even when you think it can't be done. Just a reminder, uh, I started a newsletter on Substack to share new episodes and extra content that we cover in each show head to trueproduct.substack.com to join. And as always, if you have any feedback, please find us on Twitter or LinkedIn at True Product Podcast. Thanks, enjoy. Yeah,
1: let's
0: do it. Lovely. All right, bye, well, great to have you on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, Would love to start with just um, who you are, who you work for, what the role is, the basics.
1: For sure, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Vibhav Goel. I'm a senior product manager at Namely. Um, you know, Namely in a nutshell, we create software for HR teams to help them build a better workplace. So everything from automating daily admin work to processing payroll to predictive analytics.
0: Nice. And when did you join these guys?
1: It's been just over two years.
0: Nice. And did you start as a senior PM or you started as junior? Or I started
1: PM? as a regular PM. You know, I I, did, I worked in a startup for a little bit beforehand, so... Yeah. That was kind of the initial foray into PM. Yeah, um, and I got promoted while on the job here.
0: Nice, congratulations. And what is the actual um, product team look like? How many PMs are there in the business?
1: Yeah, we have about 8 PMs across the business. Couple of APMs, a couple of regular PMs, couple of senior PMs, and then two directors.
0: Nice, and then how is, how is the product divided up between you guys?
1: Yeah, so we are an all-in-one play. So we have you know a variety of different modules. Yep. Uh, the teams are pretty much focused on a per module basis.
0: Nice. And what is your module?
1: Mine is HRIS. It's the it's the core, it's the core platform that admins use for their day to day work. And it's probably the core thing that an employee would look at. So for example, if you're requesting time off or looking at your pay stubs, uh, you'd probably go into my part of the platform.
0: Very cool. Um and have you been on that part of the product your entire time there, or have you moved around?
1: Yeah, you know, within that domain for sure, Um, you know, the nuance there is that we, (laughs) it's a pretty massive domain, so having to strip that down to, you know, smaller pieces, um, but, you know, more or less in that domain.
0: Yeah, nice. Very cool. Well, I would love to jump right into things, and uh, I know you got a chance to look at the prompt and everything. Um, I would love to start with really, like, the highest of levels of, like, maybe the overall objective for the year, quarter, whatever it was, and how you got to work on the specific project, and then we'll kind of flow into it
1: yeah sounds good so i'll give you a quick sense of how we think about the process and that you know maybe the specifics of this specific project Um, it very much starts at the company level right so establishing what does the company want to accomplish in the next six months and 12 months i think where namely succeeds with product management is that once that company goal is set the individual product teams have the latitude to figure out well okay you know for this space that i'm an expert in let me figure out what needs to get done to actually achieve this overarching company goal. Um, so, you know, in a quarterly road mapping process, just, you know, figure out the overarching roadmap, uh, the different teams will sort of, you know, formulate their ideas. And then we all come together on a quarterly, now monthly basis, um, but, you know, talk it out a little bit, understand are there, you know, cross team dependencies we should look at? Um, are there initiatives that, you know, don't neatly fall into any one team? It should be done for the good of the company. Uh, that's kind of how we get to the overarching roadmap.
0: Nice. So it's um, so. Give me an example just to be able to chew on something. And you said you switched from a quarterly to a monthly.
1: Yeah, that one's a recent shift. Like you know, we're we're heading into our second, of that, so still, still pretty near.
0: So and and what what's an example of one um, a kind of overarching goal that you guys got passed on to?
1: Yeah, I'll talk a little bit about you know the project. We'll talk about it in, in this podcast, which is. You know, the, the company goal back in the day was to increase revenue mm-hmm. in anticipation of an IPO and sort of, you know, in, in conjunction with that um, increased customer satisfaction, because we were seeing some trends there, mm-hmm. again, in anticipation of an IPO, mm-hmm. um, you know, with that being the company goal, where that landed for my team is, you know, again, as the expert in the space where I know the ins and outs of all of our different features. Uh, the different pain points of them, how they address, you know, different drivers for different, you know, segments of the market. Um, Knowing that the company goal was to increase revenue. Mm -hmm. There was an opportunity with one of the features called Workflows, where, you know, I'll step back for a second. You know, namely started as a company focused on mid-sized businesses. Mm -hmm. Uh, In anticipation of growing revenue, we were trying to increase our addressable market. And so, a lot of the functionality we had was for the smaller corporation. You know, think 50 to 100 employees, and we wanted it go into spaces with 100 to 500 employees. how ah. does functionality need to change for you know that bigger market? Mm-hmm. Um, within my platform, within my space, there were some very clear opportunities to, you know, if you if you built this kind of thing, it unlocks this huge gate for sales. At the same time, it is a big contributor to some you know dissatisf- dissatisfaction and bugs. Um, maybe there are nice ways to you know tap, work on there while also helping sales out at the same time.
0: Very cool. And so, talk to me a little bit about that relationship you had with sales, where you kind of knew this was a pain point or an opportunity.
1: Yeah, we you know, namely is kind of my big experience with sort of product management. So I'm still curious how this compares with other companies, but it, it's a very positive relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, we've gotten to a pretty data oriented approach where. On these actual sales calls the sales team does a good job at identifying and quantifying what are misses or what are deal breakers Mm -hmm. for sales Mm -hmm. you know for prospects that didn't close so we have that data to inform a lot of our conversations Um, you know I think we're good about not just following whatever sales wants yeah yeah. uh, but there is this you know there's a lot of substance behind our conversations to come to a mutual agreement on what's actually going to move the company objective forward.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And then just to get into the nitty gritty a little bit there, uh, where is sales, the sales team tracking all that? Is it in Salesforce and pumped somewhere else or?
1: Yeah, good question. It's, it's all over the place. That's actually <laughs> one of the challenges more. namely, you know, we, we try to use Salesforce, but our implementation there is very, very shoddy. Um, for this, you know, for the specific data on deal breakers, it's all in Excel and Google Sheets.
0: Really? And so, so uh, someone has a call and uh, is a deal breaker something like, hey, I get on the phone call. These people will join if we're able to do X, or it's like, hey, these people said no because of X. The
1: latter. The latter. Um, so, yeah, good distinction. It's for sure people telling us, like, you know, the seven reasons why. Yeah. Um, and so figuring out what is the main driver is, you know, sometimes a question, but in aggregate, you start to get a decent picture of, you know, the, the clear trends.
0: Yeah. Very cool. So now, how do you? Um, so that's perfect kind of a synergy. We have that meeting, and you have this data. How do you kind of, uh, I don't know, present it to everybody to like justify your case?
1: Yeah. You know, honestly, it's exactly what we just talked about. Um, when you, when you present that logical progression in your thought process, where, you know, everyone can align on the company. Well, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. You know, bringing that down to a more tangible level, you know, making the argument for the feature you want to work on that part, straightforward. Maybe the part that gets a little bit more contentious is proving why you should not work on other things. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, a lot of that selling, a lot of that pitching happens outside of the actual roadmap presentation, yeah. it's, you know, building credibility with that team. So, you know, they want, you know, they should not take you at face value. You should prove it to them that this is the right thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, mentioning that, look, we've thought about these things at a high level. Here's why not. We don't have to go into all that detail to prove it out because there is that trust between the teams.
0: Yeah. Nice. That definitely makes sense. Um, okay. So, uh, We've talked, I guess, around uh, the idea itself a little bit. I would love to get a little, like a one-liner or something on the problem or the opportunity itself.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, one-liner, that's always a good challenge. <laughs> uh, if you if you allow me two lines, maybe. Yeah, yeah.
0: So
1: <laughs> You know, the HRIS platform is a system of record for mm-hmm. all this employee data at a company, right? You can imagine when, you know, certain data changes. So for example, your salary. Yep. Some data like that is sensitive. Mm-hmm. And before it can actually be changed, it needs to go through various approvals with your you know, your to address your previous salary, then the VP of finance, before you can actually make that change in the system. Yep. So that launch process, the approval process, it's very manual. Yeah. How do you automate that, you know, pretty pretty frequent action within your product mm-hmm. is is kind of the space that we're tackling with this week
0: very cool. And so um, we don't have to maybe cover all of them. But the salary one makes a lot of sense where it's like, hey, if this changes, like there needs to be some process for who approves and everything else. What are some other ones maybe that are obvious?
1: Yeah, so this it's actually a little bit non obvious until you really think about it. But you know, um, you can also see this being used as a notification platform, Mm -hmm. alerting the various stakeholders. So IT, for example, as a to answer your question, things like department, things like your start date, things like your termination date, um, when any one of those items change, yeah. you need to inform IT, your manager, HR, the sales department, or whatnot. Um, and so having each one of them approve that process, so they, they, at least are aware about it, yeah. is also you know, this, uh, this whole thing.
0: That, that definitely makes sense. I like that.
1: I'll give you another more concrete example. Um, let's say you get married and your last name changes. Ah. That has downstream implications on your payroll. Yep. And so when you change that in your HRIS platform, it, it should be approved by your payroll admin so that they know that this change is happening in payroll and they can make the necessary adjustments there.
0: Nice. That definitely makes sense. And then you said IT. What what what's something that would change where IT would need to get notified?
1: What's a good example? It's more so about so. Let's say that you're getting onboarded. Yeah when you get onboarded, which is a flavor of this change request, right? When that data is first being created, um, you need to let IT know so they can provision you an email, a laptop, and all those other items. Yep. Uh, pretty much any part of that workflow that you know, different people need to be aware about
0: it. Yeah, nice, definitely makes sense. So um, that definitely makes sense. Was there um, Was there any other competing ideas at the time that said like, oh, here are all the, the deal breakers. Was this like clearly the number one or was there something else that was right up there?
1: Uh, there are definitely a lot of items up there uh what i was alluding to earlier is you know the hris platform is pretty massive yeah right Um, and more recently we've taken a more nuanced approach with it where if you map out all the features we have against sort of an industry perspective yeah it's actually not just one big module it's actually five different modules yeah so you can imagine the core system of record time off module talent management core settings etc Um, I say that because, you know, this workflow feature fell in the Mm SOR, but pretty much the top pain points were all those other modules. So performance management or, you know, permissions, um, or the newsfeed that we have, that's kind of akin to Facebook's newsfeed. Yep. Um, all of those items were, you know, conflicting at that level too.
0: Yeah. Very interesting. Um, nice. Okay. So, um, anything else we should know about that kind of first meeting or those meetings you had to decide that like, Hey, this is going to go on the roadmap
1: nothing nothing really more you know I think um nothing really more um, I think you know again without w- once you have that logical progression of thought yeah um, I think we've done that enough times we've had enough reps with the org that people are bought into the system yeah uh, you know for sure there's some more nuances with the actual convincing of people and you know I won't say politics but just some of the back panelling outside of the actual things but Beyond that, you know, fairly straightforward.
0: And then, so was it, uh, was this one just something that like, hey, we had those kind of back channel conversations and we came to the meeting, we were all kind of on the same page, or was there some, oh nice, good to see. And then, go ahead. I
1: will, uh, ask. I'll correct that statement. There was, you know, just, I think for transparency, so it's kind of of cool to see, um, I was talking about the two initial company goals. One was to increase revenue, other one was satisfaction. Yep. Uh, you can imagine that those tie very directly to sales versus customer service. Yeah. And so, you know, sales is top idea, workflow is fantastic. Customer services idea, completely different feature that's existing functionality, not new features. Mm-hmm. And so how do you get them aligned, right? You know, there was definitely a little bit of that contention as well. Yep. Uh, but again, you know, the way we kind of got around it was sales... You know, at a company level, at the CEO level, we're aligned that that's the top goal. Mm-hmm. Hey, here are you know, three other opportunities I see to also help out uh, customer service. Yeah, sure, they're not the top pain points, but they are still pretty impactful. Mm-hmm. And so, whatever we're working on, at least there's some benefit to the various stakeholders involved.
0: Yeah, exactly. That and that, like, that people management and that little, like, the politics aspect of product management is, is something that I'm <laughs> very, very aware of. Um, nice. So, we now, I have a scene for the room. Um, another kind of in the weeds thing. Um, how do you guys kind of tracking these overall kind of ideas and I guess your backlog, parking lot, roadmap kind of scenario?
1: Yeah, poorly, poorly. <laughs> I would say, you know, it, it's uh, it's such a challenge for our org because we have such distinct teams mm-hmm. that could operate in relative silos if they yeah, really yeah. want to, right? So like, the process for that change is. You know team by team mm-hmm. uh for us you know i coming from a finance background like Excel's my my go-to yeah, tool yeah. Um, a lot of i pretty much track everything in excel um allows me to put numbers against it you know put it into google sheets easy to share yep. um a lot of that sits in excel for me which um you know it's nice for me it's a little bit less shareable compared to something like jira yeah uh but it's also a lot more a lot easier to manipulate
0: yeah and um one, this is, I just want to go on like a little bit of a, um, whatever, side note here. Uh, have you ever tried any of like the road mapping tools out there? Like Jira is one thing, but like any of the other like multiple ones that are popping up these days?
1: I haven't. I probably should. Um, I, again, I, you know, I, my, I, I feel so comfortable in excelling. Like, I, you know, I can do stuff very quickly. Yeah. You know, so I, I felt motivated to do so. Um, it's been working but you know scalability wise there's probably some challenge
0: yeah it's just it's just such an interesting problem like des trainer like the ceo of intercom like has some great line about like excel or whatever it's like the reason that like every project management software fails and excel like like holds strong is because like Project management software like assumes that everybody knows exactly what they're going to do and there's a set track for it. And in reality, like it's a disaster. And Excel allows you to kind of like facilitate that disaster and just be really, really flexible. And like I'm continuously like on the hunt for like okay, this thing that'll work, but like it always ends up like with a little bit of sacrifice. I'm, I just switched us over to this the uh, notion, which is just like kind of all in one, like wiki, yeah. you know, wiki and like everything. And I like it just for that, like uh, one having all of our documents there, having like simple kind of project boards, and then we can have like business objectives as well. Um, but yeah, this is just such an interesting problem. And like, that's one of the reasons I love having these conversations is like the realization that like, yeah, we're all kind of just figuring out on Google sheets and like, that's all right. Um, yeah,
1: no, I, 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 you need to send me that article on Intercom on fast. You know, yeah. definitely want to read that. There's another similar quote. You know, maybe on the flip side that, uh, you know, every major Excel workbook out there is a multi-million dollar business for you oh, to happen. Easily. Um, so you know, finding the balance between the two, I think. I, I, you know, I need to think more about that.
0: <laughs> um, nice. Okay, and then and one more thing, and then we'll come back up. Um, so you have your overall roadmap in Google Sheets and everything. And what happens when it gets broken into tickets or anything else? Where do those go?
1: Those go into zero.
0: They do. Okay, nice. Um, all right. So let's come back up. Um, you have now decided this is the project you're going to work on. Walk me through the usual cadence of like, uh, I don't know, what you do as a PM.
1: Yeah. You know, so just to backtrack a little bit so oh, yeah. you know you figured out the problem you've agreed on what you're gonna work on you've got an alignment around that now we're actually beginning sort of the development process yeah, exactly. not even the end portion just the development process yeah. right um, it usually starts with a conversation with design and you know part of this is happening before as well but mm-hmm. you know design is our you know 100% partner in product yeah we are spending a lot of time you know talking to clients understanding what are their current pain points with the actual flow um, mapping out the actual flow, identifying what are some of the bottlenecks once you have, you know, have pretty strong alignment on that, then moving on to creating the new flow, creating the new visuals, creating the new interactions, um, working with Angela on the way to, you know, get some of that technical feedback yeah. to assess whether this design is even feasible, um, get to a point where, you know, once the designs are finalized and just fairly bought into it already, yeah, yeah. um, at that point sort of handed off to Eng. They'll spend about a you know some amount of time doing a technical design doc, hmm. which is an in-depth understanding of, well, okay, if I were to build this, here's my exact plan, here are the dependencies, here's the data model, all those good things. Yeah. Align around that, you know, socialize that with some of the architects who have a broader understanding of the platform. Um, finally, you know, actually start dev work on it. Um, you know, eng manager takes over, you know, starts mapping out the sprints, goal planning, all that good stuff. Um, and that's pretty much it.
0: <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> that It makes a lot of sense. So there's a few things I want to touch on. One, obviously, each project is different. But what are some of like the um, most important or most valuable aspects of that design process for in your mind?
1: A lot of it is preempting future questions yeah. to save time on development and to kind of you know increase your overall velocity. Yeah. So you know before workflows, I had a different or I've seen different projects that have you know gone a lot worse. Um, what went worse about them is it felt like product and design would act, you know, a little bit more in a silo without engineering. Yeah. And in those interactions, you know, design product would spend a lot of time, would have all this data, would have all this user feedback to say, yes, this is the right design. Mm-hmm. And then when you talk with engineering, they're like, well, if you thought about it this way, it'd be 2X simpler, or, hey, what about that? That's, you know, something cool to think about. Um, so getting them involved in this earlier process by the time they get to that design job, you know, they're spending a lot less time questioning it. Yeah. They're spending a lot more time, you know, fleshing out the idea that they, you know everyone sort of contributed to already.
0: Yeah, and I I think this is one of the like most important things I think PMs learn. And usually they learn it through like uh, some project going wrong. And like you have to have that little fear in the back of your head or at least doing it once to learn it. And like, I remember the first time I've done that where like you work in a project and you do, you get excited about it. And like, you kind of like maybe fall in love with it a little bit. And then all of a sudden you show it to an engineer or somebody just later down the line and like within five Mm -hmm. seconds, they poke like three holes in it. And you're like, crap, I should have dragged you guys into the conversations earlier. And like ever since then, like in my mind, it's just this like the spectrum where it's like, all right, I want to expose enough people to like the problem first. And like, all right, we all agree on the problem. Great. And like, let's uncover like the spectrum of solutions. And like, engineering, you might look at it at a completely different light. So let's bring you in as well. And then like, once you get them to like, to, like just see it and like sign off and it, it's like, okay, great. We're going to go back. We can poke around on it, but we're going to get you like touch base every now and then.
1: For sure. I, and I think the, the dirtiest part of it, which I, I think this is actually the toughest part about doing that stuff. I still, you know, I think it's still a challenge for me, even today figuring out the right time to bring them into the right conversation. Yeah. Cause at one point you, you know, protect their time, let them focus on the right thing. You know, bring them in too early. almost not defined enough for them to actually get their, you know, yeah. wrap their heads around it. Um, and I think where I've landed on it is, you just need to find one or two leaders for engineering mm-hmm. that just stick with you throughout the process.
0: Yeah. This. This it's is. Not some-
1: necessarily-
0: I was just gonna say this is something we adopted uh, a few months ago. It was just like a uh, process is like, hey, as soon as there's a problem statement, we'll have a little like um, team sync around like this project, we call it the kickoff. And that's when we assign a lead engineer, right? It's like, hey, you are responsible as a lead engineer to kind of like relay other stuff um, and drag you in instead of like having like multiple people throughout the project.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, that sounds great.
0: Um, I like that a lot. Nice, so um, anything else, any specific that kind of comes to mind throughout that process for this project in particular throughout design and kind of handing it over to engineers?
1: Uh, what do you mean? What part of
0: it? Uh, was there anything that came out, Any anything uh, surprising that came out through the design process of like, ooh, actually, like we, we thought we were going to do it this way and this is actually a completely different version?
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, part part of it was that, you know, just to complicate the story, like most companies, we're moving to microservices now. Yep. And so this challenge of going from this monolithic, you know, Ruby, Ruby code base to services you know, do you do a full migration? Or if you're doing it kind of halfway, then what functionality can you bring over? And so, you know, a long way of saying we did not make the full migration. Um, We kind of had to do this hybrid approach. And in doing so, we had to make some compromises on what kind of functionality we could offer. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example. You know, I was talking earlier about that approval process, the routing process. Um, You can imagine that there are different types of approvers. It could be the employee's direct manager, could be you know the head of their department it could be you know entire hr team what are those different types of roles um we're not able to capture all the different types because mm-hmm. of this transitionary period and so having to scale back some of that and you know go to clients and be like oh I, I know you really want this but i can't give it to you right now um you know those are some of the surprising conversations at the time which i think i've come to expect that now but back in the day it was definitely a lot more surprising than i thought it would be
0: yeah that definitely makes yeah. sense <laughs> um all right, great. So um, you hand it over to engineers; they build it. Talk to me a little bit about uh, maybe the testing and releasing process.
1: Yeah, testing and releasing. I'll say for this project, we were still behind the times on it. Really, we still, you know, we had a QA engineer. It was very manual. Um, you know that you know. Uh, you'd have a QA plan and sure, you know, some of it was happening along the way, but the majority of it actually happened towards the end. Yeah. Uh, and actually speaking to releases about that, I think one thing that was tough about this project was not making it iterative enough. Interesting. It's not like the one large project and you know, there were some portions of it for sure, but, mm-hmm. uh, for the most part, a lot of it kind of came out towards the end. Mm-hmm. Which has a huge, you know, the obvious problems that you're not getting enough feedback along the way. If you happen to do something wrong, then you know it's harder to course correct. Um, That's a bunch of rambling, but no, no, (laughs) uh, that was kind of that was kind of the that's kind of how I uh, planned out for that
0: one. Nice, that makes sense. Um, So, um, and when you guys actually release this, is it released to everybody? Is it released to a certain segment of users?
1: we we end up releasing to everyone usually it, you know in this case we had a bit of a phased rollout yeah. um you know in this case because this new functionality was mostly for larger clients mm-hmm. you know that's what we tested out with first then backtrack to make sure you know it still solves everything for the small guy doesn't you know over it for them um so it was a bit of a phased rollout in that sense Nice. But eventually, after was using
0: it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and now, talk to me a little bit about the uh, um, KPIs that you were measuring this kind of project by. Um, the some of the details of like where exactly you you were measuring these numbers, and then what actually happened.
1: For sure. So, you know, there were a couple of goals that we were trying to measure against. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was actual just adoption, right? Like feature usage is this yeah. solving, uh, you know, the pain point that I have. Ah, uh, the second was how effectively is it solving that pain point, point? and the third was is this actually, actually there were four. Third one was increasing sales, like is yeah. this actually you know helping with sales, and last one was is this reducing service tickets. Mm-hmm. So more tangibly for each one of those, um, on the first one with uh, you know usage, just straight up adoption numbers, are you know not only are you using this feature, but are you using the additional enhancement we made to that feature? Yeah. Um, on effect uh, efficiency was basically looking at time to completion.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and we I'll play the numbers alongside. So adoption, right? We, um, pretty much hit our adoption targets within two months, nice. which was kind of on track, but you know, we felt pretty good about that. Um, a little bit of a segmented adoption where we expected higher adoption on larger clients, mm-hmm. a little bit less on smaller clients. And it, you know, it phased out pretty well in that sense. Um, on the second one, the effectiveness. Was looking at time to completion of the actual workflow. Yeah. So before from you know kickoff to final approval, that took maybe twelve days. Mm-hmm. With after this release, it took five days. Nice. So it felt pretty good that it was actually solving, you know, that portion of the automation too.
0: And that's and for for that one exactly, uh, from kickoff to sign kind off, what what was the example you were using there? So if somebody's onboarded or
1: the kickoff to completion or something?
0: Yeah. So you you were saying that uh, we're measuring the time between like somebody starting this task and like somebody completing this task. And what what exactly was the task in mind?
1: Um, I'll give you a simpler example. So that that, that wage change, right? Yeah, yeah. But you got promoted, and you're changing your salary, your job title, and you know maybe a direct report. Mm-hmm. Um, I kick it off on Jan first. Yep. How many? You know, it's going to go through seven people before it's finally approved. How long does it take to get through those seven
0: people? Nice. So you bucketed all of these tasks and said, "Hey, overall everything went from ten days it was down to five or something." Pretty much, yep. Nice. That's great.
1: Um, that was two. The third one was sales, which you know that was a bit more qualitative. I, you know, didn't have as much as many numbers for that. It's yeah. harder to attribute that to sales exactly, uh, but definitely with you know demo. Uh, our pre sales folks, our sales folks, you know, definitely heard positive reactions there. That clients were reacting, you know, the way they wanted to. Um, and then, lastly, for satisfaction in bug, you know, which we measured through bug tickets, um, we saw a, you know, close to fifty-five percent reduction in tickets for that category. Nice. Um, we felt pretty good about.
0: Love that. That's great to hear. Um, okay, so we've covered release. We've covered um, overall KPIs and everything. Um, if you could go back and adjust anything about this project or anything in there, what would you change if anything?
1: Yeah. The big thing is, you know, what I mentioned earlier about making this more iterative. Yeah. You know, I think back in the, and this was one of the earlier projects I worked on, as much as I tried, I convinced myself that I could not break this up anymore. (sighs) Um, and in retrospect, you know, there are always ways to do that a little bit more. So, um, I, I don't think our org was mature enough to necessarily handle, that continuous iteration as well. Yeah. Uh, but I think if we had given ourselves the opportunity to do that, frankly, the project would have been done a little bit faster. A lot of the feedback we got post the release, uh, I think we would have been able to incorporate a lot more of that into the actual development to really? say that, okay, it's just out of scope, we're not gonna tackle it. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Nice. And, and wh- um, what was the time frame from like start, we're gonna do this project to completion?
1: about five months.
0: Five months, nice. And is yeah. there is there anything, it sounds like it could be a little nuanced, but is there anything specifically that you can think like, ooh, we could have ripped this out and done it like in a, in a smaller chunk?
1: The definitely parts of it, right? So if you, if you think about the actual workflow, yeah. the first step is creating a template yep. that you can repeatedly launch for every single employee. Yeah. And then you've got the actual kicking off process, and then finally the approval process. yeah you know, we were making a lot of changes to each sort of part of each phase of that entire process. I think we could have rolled out portions continuously, you know, even if they didn't fully connect yet. Yeah. Um, Releasing parts for each phase, getting some feedback on that would have been valuable.
0: Nice, that definitely makes sense. Um, Let's see. Um, We talked about creation, perfect. Talked about the product stack. Nice, so that wraps up the, um, the actual project itself and that was phenomenal. So thank you very much for that. Um, some last few questions here. Um, do you have any questions that you would want to ask kind of other PMs at other uh, companies around the world?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, one thing I wonder about which, it, I, I think it speaks a little bit more to the product management career track. Mm-hmm. You know, we, I think we've talked about this a lot, that. The PM job can vary quite a bit company to company. Yeah. And from what I've heard and what I've seen, I think people get tossed into, like, you know, their first PM gig, whatever that ends up being tends to be kind of where they end up for a longer period of time. Interesting, yeah. um, and I'm curious, especially for the people that made that switch or, you know, maybe stuck with it, um, how do they, how do you think about figuring out like you know, what this job could be and f- what what you actually want to specialize in? Like what kind of PM do you want to specialize being?
0: Yeah, yeah exactly how did you do you think um where are you on this journey right now do you think you've like seen all there is to see and you've you've chosen what you want to do do you think there's still something behind like the curtain
1: i i think i've gotten a good sense of what's out there really not even having experienced it, i think i understand the different levers yeah um you know i'm definitely biased like, you know, like i said i'm a little bit biased towards the experience i've had myself with b2b um, enterprise of, of course um So, you know, some things like that I'm pretty solid on. Mm -hmm. I think other things like the actual stage of a company that, you know, that's one filter I use for tracks out there. Um, You know, Namely has been a fantastic opportunity in terms of understanding businesses that are trying to scale. Yeah. I think it's also helped me realize that as much as I, you know, I enjoy that space, but I think I would enjoy earlier stage a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the next... You know, hypothesis, like the next thing I want to see if that, you know, if that's actually true. Yeah. Uh, and then make overall assessment on, okay, well, I've done early stage, I've done, you know, skill stage. Which one do I find more interesting to specialize in?
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm honestly on the other side of the fence. I've always been in like early stage startups and I love it because usually everything's on fire. It's a beautiful disaster. You're moving very quickly, but like, but you have control, like w- like you can go left or right and it's all like a matter of three people, three, four people in a room. And like, I'm one of those people. And I think, and this may be like a biased view, but like in my mind, like the larger a company gets, the, the smaller your like range, I guess, or spectrum of like potential influence, like at, at a larger like growth stage company, I'm not gonna be able to say like, hey, we should completely like, change this and go over here. It, it is much more like, hey, we, we know we know the overall objective, we found product market fit, now we're trying to improve these numbers. Um, at the same time, I'd be lying if I said like, I didn't, I didn't want to jump into that and be able to be a T. Um, one of the guys I first had on here at Noom, like Noom is like a great company and the way they experiment and the way they run product process, like product itself and then like growth is amazing. And I hear that, I'm like, all right, I would love to be in a little bit more established of a team and actually get that experience.
1: For sure, uh, you know something I, I I keep grappling with is how much value is there in going to an established company, yeah. seeing how they do it, and then you know finding whatever you wanted to, to sort of like adopt that best practice and apply that best practice. Um, if you don't do that, you have to create that best practice yourself, right? So I think a podcast like this is actually you know helps with exactly that, yeah. which is. Why well, I appreciate it very much. And, you know, thank you again
0: for having me. <laughs> of course. But yeah, th- th- and then it, it's one of the reasons I started is because like, I feel like engineers get stack overflow and it's like, hey, I could just kind of Google whatever I need to Google and someone's already done it. Whereas like product, because there's so much like people and kind of politics and dynamics and like s- process all baked in, every company is so different. And so like, I honestly just like when I first started, I just wanted like exposure to like, hey, what does your exact day to day look like? And like over time, like like after talking with so many people and getting coffee, you, you have this idea of like, oh, that's what a great kind of product org looks like. And that's how a great like process is run. And that's what I've become like obsessed with. It's like, hey, like I've never really had that amazing VP of product above me. That's like, hey, this is how it's done. They just like follow these steps or something. So it's just a me like kind of taking everybody's thoughts and ideas and kind of mashing them together.
1: For sure, for sure.
0: Um, Okay, um, last two questions. One, do you, what's your favorite source of content for improving as a PM?
1: Favorite source of content? I don't know if I have one, so I will say that, you know, Sachin Reiki? I don't. He is a, someone else actually pointed me to him, but he's an influential PM leader in this community, right? I think he's put together, he's written some fantastic articles. I think he's more recently put together a pretty comprehensive guide of uh, call it a hundred articles. Yeah. Some that he's written, some that others have written and it breaks it down by various categories of, you know, things that PM should think about from leadership to execution, coding. Um, it's a great primer on a bunch of different topics to kind of give you this course on how to be a PM with you know, something like that, you know, it's, it, you can never really have that kind of course. So yeah, yeah. this collection of articles is, you know, it's close to, uh, getting towards that.
0: how do you spell it? You know,
1: it is, uh, I think his last name is Ricky, R-E-K-H-I. Nice, okay. And his first name, first name is Sachin, S-A-C-H-I-N.
0: Nice. Um, yeah, I'm definitely gonna look at that. I, I've also, uh, I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but like the product manual, if you've, if it's literally just like a website where like all the resources are aggregated, and it's just like a good looking like UI where it's just like, oh, here are all the blocks of being a PM, and you can click into them and go down those rabbit holes. And that's how I kind of think about being a PM. It's like, hey, you're going to do a lot of different stuff at different times. Like, what do you focus on right now? UX, UI? Okay, great, go down this rabbit hole. Um, yeah. Nice, and then last question. Um, one lesson you would give your younger self or like early PMs?
1: One lesson. I think getting, uh... I don't know the right way to phrase this. You know, you're always involved with your engineering team, mm-hmm. uh, but not being afraid to help them help themselves. Which sounds, you know, it sounds kind of bad, but it, you know, it's not meant to be bad. Way. It's it is very collaborative. Um, I think you know some a skill that PMs bring to the job is organization and structure, right? Yep. Uh, I think what where a lot of the great engineers excel is in freeform thinking and kind of moving. Architectural sort of things forward. Um, I think there is a nice synergy there for both PMs to learn from engineers and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, and at least on that second track, you know, helping engineers think about things like estimation and you know add more structure to that kind of thinking. Yeah. Um, it just allows for a smoother sort of communication between both teams to, to get to this end, you know, shared goal that everybody has.
0: Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree with that. Like that that balance of like you want to, like we talked about earlier, expose the engineers to like, uh, again, the full range of what could be possible. But engineers are like uh, sometimes wildly creative in that mind and like they do love to go off on like tangents. So it's like, all right, how do we, how do I bring this conversation to you with the perfect amount of like wiggle room, but also like focus and like, hey, this is kind of the, the, the area we're going in. And also like, I know the same way, like, the last thing I want is somebody telling me exactly what to do. And it's like, Hey, this is like the feature we want to build, go build it. And I'm not going to tell Yeah, I'm not going to tell an engineer like, Hey, this is exactly what we're doing. Do it this way. It's like you have to be able to use the form of like user stories or something where there's like some room for them to optimize what they want to optimize.
1: For sure. For sure. Uh, Yeah, exactly. I think it it is very collaborative, right? i'm sure my team's gonna you know listen to this podcast and, you know slap me in the face later on but uh, i only mean positive
0: <laughs> of course uh well Viva, that was absolutely amazing uh, thank you very very much for coming on the show i appreciate it
1: of course thank you for having me you know again i'm very excited for to see more of these in the future
0: of course thanks again